Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25. Here's to the winning combination for 2023, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, while supplies last. You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Vancouver with it. Up the center ice. Hamuse gets knocked down. Up the cup of the Kings. Two on one. Stole. Shoots. He scores! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the L.A. Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. The offseason is almost over, you guys. Just a few more days, and we'll be getting rookie camp news, Australia news, broadcast details. But for today, I asked Kings fans on Twitter and on Reddit to submit some questions for Jarrett Stoll. He did not disappoint. He sat down with me for about an hour in our studio. But before we get to that, since the new season is right around the corner, it's time to remind you that we have more to offer than just all the Kings men. If you go to lakings.com slash podcast, you'll find The Rain Check, our podcast devoted to the Ontario Rain, and LA Kings Insider Audio, where you'll find media availabilities, press conferences, replays of Kings talk. If you want to hear everything we've got, that's where you're going to want to go. Appreciate you listening. Hope you enjoy it. Joining me now, former, do we say former LA King? I mean, you're not former. You're still with the club. Maybe former player. I don't know. All right, there yeah, we go. Whatever you want to, whatever you want to call Stoll, me. Jared Stoll, Whatever. Good. Good. Thanks. Um, so we've got a bunch of questions, fans submitted to ask you, but I'm going to start with one. Okay. This is this question almost tore our office apart this summer. Um, could you land a 747 in an emergency? You don't get the autopilot, but you do get air traffic control talking to you. I think so. Yeah. I got a steady hand, I think. All right. Do I have a co-pilot? No, it's just you oh, geez. by wow. yourself in, and the air, in the cockpit. air traffic controller. If you can sort out how to like get them on the headset, if you can sort out how the headset works. I think I'd be, I good. I'd be good with like the, the shifter thing, the throttle, but, yeah. but all <laughs> the other buttons, yeah. eh, I don't know. Yeah, well, it was a 50-50, and that's probably not a good percentage for trying to land the plane. I mean, in an, you'd have to try, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hotly contested uh, subject. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, next question up, and uh, you can tell me you don't want to talk about it if you want, but you had a kid. Mm-hmm. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. How's fatherhood yeah. treating you? It's good. Yeah, it's it's been fun so far. He's a funny little guy and smiling uh, right now. That's kind of uh, what's been uh, the big milestone the last week or two weeks is uh, seeing him smile. So, yeah, it's been fun. It's been, it's, been a, it's been a great time. Who's harder to look after, a newborn or a bunch of uh, prospects? <laughs> Ah, uh, some days maybe a bunch of prospects. I don't <laughs> sure. know. Yeah. Um, so we're going to dive into the questions, and predictably, a lot of them were about faceoffs. So before we get into the particulars about faceoffs, I just want to ask you: Is it more on the nice side of being recognized for a particular skill, or at this point, are you like 
Okay, I get it. I was good at face-offs, but there's a lot more think, to my game. Than I think that. it's the latter. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, okay. I'm, yeah, we're good with that. I get it. I was <laughs> had some success in that uh, department, but yeah, it's uh, nice to be recognized maybe for some other things too. <laughs> Having said that, now we're going to dive into a bunch of questions about face-offs. Okay. Um, so how do you approach? I'll, I'll take it like this. The question is, how do you go about coaching prospects on face-offs? But we can break it out into more skills than just face-offs. If you mm-hmm. have a, a player, a young player, who's had success, who's gotten himself drafted, who's gotten himself into the organization, however it is, how are you able to separate one skill and say, we need you to work on this? And, and you know, do you have to remove everything they've learned to a certain point to, to build up what you want them to do? Or are you building off of what they're already capable Strictly of? Strictly face-offs? Let's just, we'll start with face-offs. Sure. Okay. Well, face-offs is, is a compete thing. Mm-hmm. You know, what type of compete level are you bringing to your your shift the game uh, face-offs usually start your shift start the game obviously and um, that's your first puck battle that's your first battle so um, that's number one uh, if you don't got compete in a face-off you're not going to be very good so and then and then there's a lot of things that i tell these guys and and, and how i went about taking a face-off is is he a ready or a lefty is the linesman a ready or lefty the way he you know some linesmen not many are lefties and drop the puck with their left hand um, you know, it's, it's a little, little thing, but you know, you're talking about half an inch or an inch that might help you. Um, and then, you know, if you're going to go backhand or forehand, I, I teach the guys a lot to go on their backhand cause you're stronger on your backhand. And, you know, if you're going against a guy on his forehand and you're using your backhand, then I think you got the advantage, you know, unless you're, uh, taking a face off against, uh, Zidane Char or something, but uh, he doesn't take many face-offs, but I wouldn't want to take one against him. Um, no, it's just uh, there's a lot of things that go into it. You know, timing and hand-eye coordination, yes. Um, you know, you, how do you work on that? How do you improve that? Just reps, you know, keep uh, keep doing timing drills after practice. And I always tell the guys it's after every pregame skate, you should work on face-offs. I'm not saying every practice, but every pregame skate, there should be no excuse to work on them for, you know, five, ten minutes. Just timing go grab another centerman take go one-on-one for five minutes just to kind of get the feel get the battle get your your hand eye your timing your your, all those things that you you need to to take a face off just just kind of get get in the rhythm of it and that's what i always did i always did it after every single one my whole career so you just get in a routine and and do it and you know it uh, i think it over time helped i'd never even thought of the handedness of the linesman coming into it but mm-hmm. now that you say it it's like yeah of course it, it would totally matter are there some linesmen that had better aim i mean that's also part of it right like <laughs> well there's some linesmen that give you a little bit more leeway for sure yeah. and uh yeah you try to be nice to all of them and that's another thing i tell our our prospects and our young players like don't everybody gets kicked out a lot of guys now get kicked out of face-offs because everybody tries to cheat and there's some pretty specific uh detailed rules now and you know what you got to do in the face-offs with your feet and your stick where it has to be and don't you know don't be swearing or arguing with the linesman it's Mm -hmm. not going to help you at all especially as a young player they remember they know your number they know your name and uh they're going to be it's going to be very easy for them the next time to kick you out and be be friends with them you know if, if you do get into a little bit of a argument go apologize go say hey listen i i you know, i'm sorry about that i jumped on that one i'm just i'm struggling with this guy i'm just trying to figure him out just uh you know be patient with me stuff like that can players scout officials can they know who's coming up in a game and say oh i get along with this guy or i don't get along with that uh guy? i don't think so but in the stat pack before the game i always looked at who the officials were 
and you know the longer my career went you, you know them and you, you you know their numbers and you know if they're you definitely know if they're you know if you think personally they're a good ref or a bad ref or a good linesman or a bad linesman um there were some guys for sure in the league that i didn't i didn't really care for and i, I knew it was you know they like to call penalties and and they like to um kick guys out of out of face off so i did know that uh the longer i went with my career and that's something that again with the young guys you know build a relationship with the refs and the linesmen uh, especially if you're a centerman, build the relationships with the linesmen. After Dustin Brown retired, he spoke to various media outlets and, you know, us internally. And one of the stories he told was that when he came, when he was playing a game against a younger player, once he reached a certain point in his career, he'd like to give him a big hit in a game just so that for the rest of their career, they'd have to keep, mm-hmm. you know, they'd know that they were playing him and have to keep it in the back of their mind. You talked about faceoffs being, you know, your first puck battle. Can you set a tone as early in a game or a shift as just bringing that compete to the faceoff? Like yeah, yeah, for sure. Letting letting that guy know that, um, and you know, the rookie tournament's coming up, and and for our guys that, you know, we tell them all the time, it's so our young players. Okay, we're going to play against the Anaheim Ducks uh, rookie team. These are kids that you're going to be playing against maybe for the next ten years, twelve years, fifteen years. Not everybody's going to make the NHL and have that long of a career, but some of them are gonna. So don't show them weaknesses. Don't show them, um, you know, don't go into a scrum and put your head down and kind of kind of turn away. And, and that's noticeable stuff. And if a guy on the Anaheim Ducks, you know, team is seeing that, he, they remember, you know, I remember stuff that like that, that, oh, I can get to this guy. You know, he's not, he's not as tough as he says he is or he's, you know, playing out there. Um, so that's something, especially our bigger guys. You know, we got some big guys, young, young players, Andre Lee, Sammy Hellenius. Those kind of guys getting into scrums, you know, stick your chest out, you know, go eye to eye with a guy. Um, you're, you're six five, six seven, you know, they're they're big dudes. So yeah, there um, were a lot of tall players at Prosper uh, development, at development camp. camp. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like Especially on D, you know, yeah. Jack Sparks and um, guys like that. So that's that's something too. That the rookie camp and rookie tournament coming up, we're gonna take, we're gonna watch that just to see because you don't want those guys on the San Jose Sharks rookie team. You're gonna be playing against them. You're in the same division. You know, for hopefully 10, 12, 15 years. Can a player reverse their reputation if they get a re- reputation early for being, whether it's diving or shying, yeah. you know, getting scared in the corners? No, I think of- so. Yeah, I think everybody can learn and, and change their game. And uh, off the top of my head, I think of Sidney Crosby in that in that regard. You know, I think that his first couple of years in the league, you know, guys were, he was being targeted and guys were going after him. And, you know, sometimes he wasn't getting the calls. And I remember him, he was very vocal and, um, towards the refs and and I think he definitely definitely changed I don't know what year that was if it was the third fourth fifth year of his career but um, he definitely laid off the officials and um, you can uh, yeah I think you can learn and adapt to your to your game and the type of uh, you know type of uh, role I guess or or how you play the game now this question I do not know if it's it makes a statement of fact earlier that I don't know if it's true or not Um Person said that they read that you had developed arthritis at an early age. Is that like, and they wanted to know if that, how that impacted. Not an early age. It was like okay. 20. Well, that's, I mean, yeah, it was like early my for most. second or third year here uh, after I got traded. Yeah, it was just a weird thing. And, you know, I don't know what it, if it was stress or, you know, diet or what, but no, I got it under control pretty, uh, pretty quick. Who is the player in the pipeline uh, that you have worked the most on faceoffs? Um, 
Well, it was Adrian Kempe for a while there because he really? was, yeah, huh. you know, he came in and, you know, he was, he, yeah, he struggled a little bit, just the, you know, hand-eye coordination a little bit and, you know, Quentin Byfield now, Alex Turcott now, uh, these guys, these young guys that come in and, uh, you know, are counted on or expected to, to be on this team and be in this organization for a long, long time and they're centermen. So, you know, they, they can always get better for sure. And they, you know, you play junior hockey or, or college and a lot of these players don't understand the importance of it, you know, don't understand it. And it's a simple thing. You think they would, but you know, they, you know, they don't know what they don't know. And if they, they don't think it's very important, then, then they're not going to put any emphasis on it or work on it, um, try to get better at it. So, um, that's something that these guys, they got to, uh, learn that the importance of every little detail, every little part of the game and, and have a purpose. And that's with development. We always say that word purpose. You know, if it's, if it's one drill, one rep, um, in practice, like have a purpose, do everything, whether it's making a pass, taking a face off, um, you know, going down and, and, and taking a shot. Don't miss the net. Don't, you know, you got nobody on you in practice. There's no reason for you to miss a pass. A guy that's 20 feet away. There's no, no excuse, no reason that you should miss a pass. You know, yes, it'll happen every once in a while, but if it's a if it's a a pattern setting in, um, that's that's no good. That's just a loss of focus, and um, there's no purpose to your uh, to your practice, to your training, and um, how you get better. So when I was in my mid twenties, I lived with I don't know how it happened, but all my buddies and the guys I was living with were either doctors or nurses or training to become doctors or nurses, and all of them had to keep up with the you know, the practices mm-hmm. and the changes to their industry, mm-hmm. right? They'd get these newsletters and they'd have to go through them and read them. So a fan wants to know how long it takes to learn new stick, stick technology or skate technology, the new products in the hockey industry. So from a development standpoint, you know, I don't know how much stuff has advanced in the short period of time mm-hmm. from your playing career to today. But if somebody brings, you know, if Brant Clark shows up with a new stick or something, mm-hmm. like, are you able to keep on top of that somebody yeah, know the reps not, are in here not long at all no yeah. you go out there and it could be one practice you get used to your new pair of skates or you know guys try all the time different flexes you know whether they have grip on the on their stick or not sandpaper on their blade there's a little sandpaper finish that i always used on my blade i'm gonna need you to walk me through all stuff of like that <laughs> well your curve is one thing right yeah. what type of curve you like you know on on your blade yeah if there's like a little sandpaper finish um What's it for? I don't know. I just like the feel of it. Um, you know, whether or not the, the bottom of your stick can be rounded or not, it can be square. Um, then your stiffness, 90, 100. 100 is usually the average. That's what I always used and a lot of people use. But as these younger kids are coming in now, they're, the stiffness on their on their sticks are, are less and less, meaning more and more whippy. So you go to a 90, you go to an 80, a 70. And a lot of kids now are coming in at 70, 75, 80 flexes, which – like there's not many slap shots in the game anymore, right? It's more of snapshots, the half, you know, snapper wrist shots and the stick. Now it's a boomerang. You see highlights and replays of a guy's shot and the stick is just flexed. It's literally a boomerang when it comes off that thing. So that's why I think guys are just using, you know, more of a whippy stick. Now Zdeno Chara probably used 120, you know, it's a two by four. It does not move, does not flex. And uh, a lot of guys, when I played were, yeah, it was a it was a stiff stick. It did not bend or move, and especially because it was some of them were wood. But um, yeah, that's something that uh, the stick neck technology coming in is uh, has changed so much, and the players have changed so much in uh, in what they use now. Do you have a preference? 
Like wood versus this micro. Oh, graphite. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so light now. It's oh. the newer sticks. Yeah, and I even went uh, went down to a ninety, and I might go down to an eighty. I don't know. The, <laughs> I don't have the the muscle or the the wrist like I did any and uh, back when I played. So I like to have a flexible stick. In conversations with Jim Fox over the years, one of the reasons that he thinks that specifically power play scoring has gone up is because the players and the technology have sort of evolved together, right? You've got mm-hmm. guys mm-hmm. like Austin Matthews that can hide the release mm-hmm. point because the flex on the stick and everything. Is that something you subscribe to? Yeah, and the, the shots have just keep getting harder and harder, and that's stick tech technology and how guys shoot the puck now. Um, goalies are bigger, though. You know, Goalies are really, really good, but I think the, the skill level of the game and the players coming into the game um, – they're so creative now and they, the plays that they make, the goals that are scored now are, are beautiful goals. They're, you know, you get the backdoor tap in, the seam passes, the one timers. Um, there's some really, really good plays being made and especially on the power play. Um, it's, it's impressive to, to watch some of these power plays. So next one is a team philosophy question. And I don't, I'm not entirely sure I agree with the premise of the question, but I'll put it to you anyway. The, the question, the fan wants to know, why does it seem like the Kings sit on young players? And that's the part that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, specifically, they were talking about last year, Walker, Edler, and Dersey getting playing time over. I, a lot of people wanted to see Spence come in. Um, what's the process there to make those choices? I know I'm not the only Kings fan who scratched their head on a lot of roster choices last season. Every time this topic gets brought up, I sort mm-hmm. of point to guys like, Mikey Anderson or Arthur Kaliev or even Quentin Byfield. Yes, yeah. he was there in the AHL for that first uh, COVID year, but mm-hmm. there are guys that make the team. Yeah, for sure. It's it's where's your where's your team at? Are you rebuilding? Well, then you're probably going to have a Jordan Spence come in and play more games than he he has already in his career. Um, he's a guy that's kind of in a tough spot. You know, you got him and Brand Clark are probably battling for for a position back there, but um, it's experience. Coach's decision, you know, the organization's decision. A lot of a lot of fans might think guys are ready, but they're not. Um, it, it's a big adjustment from, you know, again, junior or college, where these guys are coming from to play pro hockey. And, um, you know, it may look like they're ready, but some of them aren't. And it's it's very, very hard to make that jump. And that's why you got – you see guys, you know, that are even top five picks, top ten picks that try to, try to make that jump in the first year and, and struggle. And it takes them a couple of years. There's the odd one, yes, that come in and, and you know take off right away. But there's not many. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. A lot guys have to learn. Like I've already talked about, guys just some some of them you, you think they should know things and they don't. You know they, they should. You think they should have been taught that, but they haven't. And yeah, I I, I see where fans are, are you know coming from and getting at. You know you want to see guys kind of get into the lineup and. You know, you see them getting all these points down in the American Hockey League with the Ontario Reign, and that's that's not what – just because they're getting points or have a point of game or all-stars down there doesn't mean they're going to be really, really good NHL players. They're going to come up, and they're, they're not going to play 20, 22 minutes a night. They're going to play 10. And is that what you really want from a player, or do you want a guy to play those 22 minutes and play on the power play, play on the penalty kill, rather than come up here and, and not be in any of those situations? That's not developing. Right. Develop a guy. You got to play. You got to be in put put in situations where you can get better. Where is the wall between the development staff and the coaching staff and the front office when it comes to some of these personnel decisions? Are you guys giving your recommendations or pushing for certain players to make that jump? Um, you know, we, we see, we watch a lot of games or most of them. Um, if the, you know, the Kings aren't playing, you know, the rain are playing, we're at all the rain games, try to be at most of them. And, 
Um, we know who's playing well, who's not, who's having a good month, who's having a good week, who's confident, who's not. And, you know, injuries happen at the course of a season. You never know when they're going to happen. But all of a sudden, two or three guys go down. And, and yeah, we give our opinion on who's playing well. And um, it's pretty obvious. We, we, we see a lot of the same things. And, um, and then, you know, Glenn Murray and Nelson Emerson. And um, I know the coaching staff, like Todd McClellan and Rob Blake, they have meetings all the time. They, they, they talk almost on a daily basis, to be honest with you, on on roster stuff, and that's that's their uh, their choice and their decision on on who who they think is ready and playing well at the time. What does the team need at that time? Is it you know does a goal scorer end up getting hurt where they need some offense? They need a skilled guy in the lineup. Okay, who's who's that guy? Who's playing well? Next question from a fan: What is the biggest sign that a forward prospect is ready to make that jump from the AHL to the NHL? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, consistency you know you got a compete level um not necessarily you know points and goals and assists but just uh i think being consistent being consistent being a guy that um is not out of place he just you know he's playing that same way you know what you're going to get every night and he's he's doing his job playing his role i think uh consistency is a big thing there was a i can't remember how it came up last season but but it was introduced into the conversation sort of at large that what happens on the ice during games isn't everything that's being evaluated. So if you've got a guy in the AHL who is consistent in the games, but is maybe like a B plus, let's just say, and you've got another player who on the ice is an A plus, but maybe in practice meetings, et cetera, isn't as consistent. Who's more likely to get, recognized for that consistency the guy that does everything the coaching staff and the development staff ask of him but is maybe just a little bit less talented than the other guy well i think the the game is played on the ice mm-hmm. and you i would say a, a player that is doing his job playing his role being consistent like i said on the ice you know you're going to have meetings then and have conversations with that player if there's issues off the ice for sure but i think if he's if he's doing what he should do, you know, you, you gotta, you, I, th- I think you gotta have the guy that uh, is going to perform on the ice. This question, I'm not entirely sure I understand, but I'm going <laughs> to ask it and hopefully I'm going <laughs> to wait. Uh, are there metrics to see if the development plans are working or is it as simple as go out and play? And if you play well, it worked. Well, I think if, are they retaining the information? Are they working on their game? Are they getting better? Are they developing? That's obviously the the big word here, um, and that's kind of how you measure it. I don't think there's you know metrics is uh, the right word. It's just um, you know the eye test, right? How 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 are they looking? Have they improved? Have they gotten stronger? Um, do they look bigger? A lot of these young players, it's all about getting getting stronger, getting quicker, right? Putting on weight. You know, they come in, they're 160, 170 pounds. A lot of these players, they got to try to get to 200, 190. Um, and a lot of them coming in, like, you know, Francesco Pinelli now and Laferriere, Kiel Thomas. These guys come in, Alex Turcott even. These guys look like men now. Like, they're, they've put on, they've bulked up. They've put on uh, some weight. They've gotten stronger. But you can't lose that quickness. You can't lose that speed. You still got to be able to, you know, put together a good 45 50 second shift if you're out there 35 seconds and you're you're dog tired you, you you can't you got nothing to give for that final 15 seconds you may be caught in your own zone and you can't move or you can't make a play 
um, that's not good either. Yeah, you may be in great shape physically looking, you know, visually and can squat and bench and pull-ups and all that stuff and look good in the gym. But if you can't uh, last out there for 45, 50 seconds, then what good is that? So there's a mixture there. And that's what, you know, these last two, three weeks before training camp or four as well, you know, I'd feel great in the gym and, and do everything I needed to do in the summer. And then you get on the ice for the first four or five sessions and, and you feel like you're learning how to skate again and play again. So there's a, there's kind of a fine line there. Um, but it's it's an eye test on how, how guys are developing and are they retaining the information and actually working at it. And like I said, having a purpose with it to get better. So since you named some of these guys specifically, I'll ask the next one. Uh, this fan would like to know what you feel the following forward prospects need to show or improve on to become NHL players in the near future, Chromiak, Pinelli, and Turcotte. Wow, it's almost a lot of the same uh, the same answer I might give for all three of them. Um, exactly what I just talked about. They're their they're gas tank, they're you know, lasting that full shift, uh, making sure that doesn't dip, um, making sure you don't lose focus. And once you get tired like that, then mentally you make mistakes. You lose coverage in your defensive zone. Defensively, that's how you're going to get into into the NHL. That's how you're going to get into that Kings locker room. That's how you're going to gain trust with Todd McClellan is to be good in your own zone. And don't make mistakes there. Make the simple play. If you have to get it out, get it out. If you have to eat it in your feet, you eat it in your feet. Don't make those fancy plays and end up being turnovers and then you're caught in your own own zone again for 25, 30 seconds. So um, defensively, that's kind of what I'll always say here with these young players, um, especially if you're a center iceman, you know, like Turk being down low. A lot of times, you know, more likely than not, that centerman is playing down low in the defensive zone. So making sure you're controlling things down there. And you're, you're kind of the leader down there as a centerman. You're, you know, you're talking to your defenseman. You're talking with your goaltender. You're making sure um, – if there's switches that have to be made, they're, they're made and they're made at the right time. And, you know, so I think defensively for sure with those three players and just making sure that they can, they can last that because uh, they've gotten a lot, lot stronger, all three of those kids. Um, they're fast, they're, they're powerful, they're explosive. Uh, Martin Kromiak, I think, is a really, really explosive skater, but he needs that, that long course, if you will, um, you know, the, the aerobic wise, that kind of stuff to, to make sure he lasts for a full shift, full game, full season. Uh, next question. Do the Kings staff have much influence in the development path of unsigned drafted players, guys like Kirsanov, Hughes, Jampson, Seaman Tyvel, or are there rules written or unwritten that require you to stay away and let their current teams manage them themselves? Manage them playing wise, you know, like unclear in the lineup. <laughs> I mean, I know, yeah, we, I know NCAA we, players are probably trickier than others, right? Yeah, we stay away from, you know, what's happening with their teams, that's happening, you know, their coaches and, and management. We stay away. We just we keep in touch with them as a development staff. We build that relationship. We keep the relationship, you know, positive and, um, you know, try to talk to them as much as possible and, you know, make sure they're, you know, be careful with their schedules and stuff like that. But no, we just build that relationship, keep that relationship strong and positive. And when they come here, you know, we just kind of take over and, and and work on their game and try to make them get better and consistent and be in that Kings locker room. Next question I loved. I uh, was really looking forward to this season with PLD, Brant Clark, and Quentin Byfield again back up on the top line. How do you convey and apply a contending expectation to development camp and beyond? I'm going to put a spin on that question. 
three years ago, four years ago, let's say, when the team had this, you know, highly touted prospect pool and there were fewer and fewer spots claimed in the organization. I imagine development camp and the optimism for a prospect might be different than it is today where you look at the Kings roster and you go, okay, Kempe and Kopitar are not going anywhere for the next few years. Deneau and Arvidsson and more, you know, I don't know. I guess mm-hmm. Arvidsson doesn't have a contract passed this year, but it could well see him getting an extension of some sort. Mm-hmm. You know, Fiala, Dubois, then you've got guys like Kaliev and, and Byfield, and then Lazat has sort of claimed a spot for like the opportunities are shrinking. So if mm-hmm. you're a prospect, does that reality seep into the development staff's approach? Do you talk to them? differently because it's going to be harder for them to make that jump we definitely talk to them about yeah look at the lineup yeah who are you whose job are you taking you gotta you gotta you gotta uh, take somebody's job you know that's how you crack in this lineup so um you know i'll think to alex i follow and blake lazat when they came into development camp it was one of my first years as, as a development coach and um lazat for sure because it was development camp it was rookie camp it was main camp exhibition and he made the team and it can be done you know there was uh i don't even know whose spot he took but it doesn't matter he, he became an nhl player and and he took someone's spot and we we tell guys that for sure and there's not many spots like you just said every year there's how many two or three um that are going to be open and there may be a couple open on d and maybe one or two up front and you know if guys don't make that though if they don't make the team and they're playing in ontario at the start of the year like don't take that as a demotion or don't let that kind of control your start of the season you know the your first 10 15 games with the ontario rain because injuries always happen always you never go through a year right without guys getting hurt you never know when that's going to happen you never know when your opportunity is going to come so work on your game be ready and when you're ready that's how i got into the league that's how i started my career um unfortunately marty reasoner got he broke his leg in Toronto, my first year, I was a healthy scratch for the first, I think it was eight or ten games. And unfortunately, he broke his leg. And then I I was a centerman and uh, I got to play. And that's how I uh, I broke into the league. So that's a lot of things we tell these young players to just, hey, stick with it, stick with it, stick with it. You never know when your opportunity comes if you don't make the club out of camp. But like I just said, Blake Lazard, Alex follow, they did it. I mean, Sean Dursey feels like the perfect example of mm-hmm. the second yeah. example, yeah. right? Like we had him on that year before Drew and uh, and Sean got hurt, and we mm-hmm. had him on from rookie faceoff. I think he yeah. he was like a older player that had gone on, mm-hmm. and I mean I've told this story before, but like internally, we didn't think he was yeah. ever going to crack the lineup, and then the yeah. opportunity came. And- in Toronto, he played against Toronto, got a goal and assist his yeah, first game, that's right? Right, yeah. and just kind of took off and he's a confident player and you get you know you get put in the lineup and he didn't change his game right that was just the type of player he was and some some guys come in and they try to change their game but um he didn't and great for him he's that started his career and now hopefully he'll have a long one so we kind of touched on this one a little bit earlier but it is a question that i find interesting what do you think is more important when developing players nurturing their unique talents to go to the next level or to develop their deficiencies and make them more well-rounded uh, I think a little bit of both. Like, you know, they got to get better at what they're, what they struggle with um, to make them become a well-rounded player. Like you got to, 
you can't just be good at really, really good at one or two things. You got to be, you got to be steady in, in a lot of areas. And like I said, defensively in, in the D zone, making sure you're on top of things there. If you're centerman, your faceoffs, you can't be 32%, um, you know, and there's roles, right? Every team has a role and, and you play it. If you're on the fourth line, you're probably not expected to score 20 goals and you're probably not going to. You're getting, you know, eight to 10, 12 minutes a night. But maybe you're a penalty killer, right? Maybe you can uh, contribute in that way. So you got to make sure you're you're dialed in. You have good stick. You you're smart. You kind of know, you know, know the other team, know their tendencies, that kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's a little bit of everything, just to try to make them become a well-rounded player and um, and off the ice too. Like you know, being a good person, being a good pro, being a good teammate. It's probably the most important thing right there. Being a good teammate. Um, there's not many bad apples in the game anymore, but uh, when the odd one does come in, it's pretty obvious, and and they got to be dealt with uh, the right way. If they're not, then hopefully they're traded and not in your organization. So the next question is what skill is hardest to develop in a player that doesn't have it? But I'm going to introduce another question first, which is, is there a difference between a skill and I guess what we would call an intangible? You know, you're talking about being a good teammate, work ethic, Whatever it is, you know, all those things that, you, that aren't getting measured at the combine. Um, let's just focus on the skills, though. Skating, stick handling, mm-hmm. face-offs, shot, accuracy, all that. Is there one of those that is hardest to nurture and develop in a player that comes in and just doesn't have it? I think skating. Skating is hard to, you know, personally, a lot. Of, some people may think that you can, you can become, you know, you can improve your skating night and day i don't think you can at this level at this stage you know guys come in and they're if you're 20 23 years old whatever it's maybe you can work on your quickness a little bit but not much you know that's something that in the game today if you can't if you don't get around the ice very well or you're just you know you're not as fleet as foot you better be smart you better be in the right position um you know there's guys on the kings right now that i don't think are, are very good skaters but they're smart and they're in the right spot and the puck finds them and you don't notice it. Right. Um, Gabe Velarde last year, right. I, he wasn't a very pretty skater. He wasn't a very fast skater, but he played well and he was in the right, right spots. So that's one thing for sure. Skating, uh, you know, passing, shooting, um, shooting again is it's tough to gain five, seven miles per hour on a guy's shot. I think it's tough to do. You can work on it, and maybe you can get a little bit better at it. But um, you know, with shooting, it's it's a wrist stick um, quickness of your wrist type of type of deal, and um, those are probably two of the major things: skating and, and shooting that are tough to really, really gain ground on uh, a lot. Is there one that's the easiest? Uh I don't know. It's t- that's a tough. I don't know. It's a tough one. Like if a guy comes in and can't hit the broadside of a barn, are there tricks? You know, well, you can work on your accuracy. Yeah, you can get you can get better at that for sure. Um, but that's a lot of reps and mm-hmm. that's a lot of uh, a lot of practice. Is that what everything comes down to? Just reps? Yeah, because if you're you're not very good at something, you're probably not comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Comfortable doing it, so you how do you get comfortable doing something? You got to do it over and over and over again until it feels comfortable. And then you feel pretty good about it doing it you know, in a game. 
like going to the driving range and trying something different, you know, and then you go tee off on the first hole. Are you really, by the third hole, are you really doing it? You know, are you back to your, back to your old ways like stuff like that? So now we're going to move away from the skill part and into the, you know, what you talked about being a good person part. Um, what's the biggest struggle when trying to get these young individual men to their fullest potential is the question. I think buying into most of these kids that have come into the organization, they all scored 40 goals, 90 points, hundred points in juniors or in college. You look at them, they're, they're gifted. They're offensive players, but when they, they're not all going to be on the first or second line. So um, are they going to buy in hundred percent? Are they going to end up being penalty killers? Um, Akil Thomas, you know, he's, he's a guy that I think can be a good penalty killer at the NHL level. He definitely wasn't a PK guy in the OHL. Um, Pinelli, same thing. Had 40-something goals this past year with Kitchener. You know, he's going to be a power play guy for sure in the American Hockey League. He's going to put that up, those numbers up. I don't know. Um, and that's a coaching thing too, right? Where does everybody fit? What, what roles do they play? Um, I was the same way. I put up points in junior, but I wasn't an offensive guy in the NHL. So, but you got to find a way to find a way to have a career and, and, and be on the team and, and find your role. So this is sort of the second half of that face-off question I asked you earlier about, about being known for face-offs and maybe having had enough of it. <laughs> um, to a certain portion of the Kings fan base, the trade that brought you and Matt Green to LA has sort of reached this kind of like, it's almost like, if, you know, a clue to other Kings fans that you know what's going on. Like, oh, yeah, the, the green and stole trade. That was the one that turned it around. Those are the culture guys. Those are the, you know, are you, A, are you aware of that reputation? Um, and then, B, does it ever feel overly simplified that, you know, two guys can come in and yeah. lay a foundation on the culture? <laughs> I've I've heard that before, for sure, and that's it's great to hear and stuff, but... There was a lot of pieces. It's a team sport. There's, you know, you need 24, 25 guys. And there was a lot of pieces that came in. Really, really good trades. Really, really good signings um, to make us a, a contender and to, to help us win. So, you know, it's it's good to hear. But that's, there's no no truth to that 100%. It's it's just, um, we had a lot of good leaders, a lot of good character guys come into our, our locker room, our team. And it's credit to, to Dean Lombardi and Ron Hextall and, and, the, and scouting staff too. You know, I'll throw Mike Mike Fuda in there. He did a great job of uh, Mark Yannetti, great job of identifying players to to come into this organization. And you know, you think about the Trevor Lewis's and you know the Braden Shen, the Wayne Simmons. I know those guys didn't win with us, but they were a, a big part of building this thing the right way. You know, and then, you, then you got Justin Williams coming in, Jeff Carter, Mike Richards, um, a lot of good good people. You know, and then I go to Robin Regeer and. And those type of guys, Willie Mitchell. and um, So good character people coming in. That's how you win, I think. And like I said earlier, no bad apples, no no bad dudes coming into the dressing room because uh, they would get pushed out pretty quick because that's the type of team we had. That's the type of players we had. It would be pretty obvious um, if there was one in the dressing room. But, uh, yeah, no, we, we created something something good here, and hopefully that uh, continues. So I can't speak for any of the prospects specifically, but I'll just – talk about myself it's one of my favorite things to do i am a reluctant teammate like if we go on a corporate retreat or something and there's some sort of you know whether 
don't, we didn't do trust falls this year, but if there's ever something like that where there are trust falls or team building exercises or whatever, I'm usually the person off to the side at the start, sort of rolling their eyes going like, all right, come on. Is this really like, do we really have to do this? But inevitably I will be one over. If you have, is there even room for that kind of attitude shift at this level? Or do you just have to focus on the guys that are already in on that kind of mentality? Um, I don't know if I understand the question. So like, like if you get a kid come in and he's a star yeah. and he's like, yeah, I don't need to kill penalties. I don't need to learn how to do anything. But you know that if you spent that extra however much time it is, you could make him into something incredible. Is there even the time or the energy or the, you know, interest mm-hmm. in converting somebody? Because you already have like probably a ton of guys who are just as good or could mm-hmm. be good enough. And they're already bought in. They're well, already time in. is yeah. Time is uh, an important thing here because you don't have much time. You know, if say you're a coach and you know how many coaches get fired after they have a tough uh, 15 game start to the season. 15 games that's a month. So they don't have time for for players that come in and don't buy in. Um, and that's something that's up in our room in the development office. Is you know, do you have complete buy in? Are you a good teammate? Be a good pro. Be on time. Um, don't miss the bus. Don't miss, don't be late for meetings. It's just, there's so many things that, um, guys need to not be good at, but just be, be consistent, be, you know, be a good person, be a good pro, want to get better. And if you don't want to get better, like you don't, you don't want that guy on your team. Um, if he has, you know, he's capable of so much more and everybody knows it and you know it. And it's just, uh, guys see it you know you see it there's no you can't hide you can't hide in this in this game it's uh you know it's an open book and if a guy doesn't want to get better then uh, i wouldn't want him on my team so then that sets up the next question perfectly um what is the most rewarding development story from your time with the king's development staff Hmm. um i would probably probably say adrian kempe just when I first came in and watching him play with, with the rain, the type of player he was and, you know, you know, all the skills he has and, you know, he's fast. He, you know, he skates like the wind. He just, he's a great shot. He's got good hands, good vision. You just, you'd want him to produce a little bit more. And that was always a thing like, you know, is he going to, is he going to score 20? Is he going to score 30? And, and look, you know, now he's, he's gotten to, he's a 40 goal scorer. So, um, any, he picked up his compete level. He picked up his, you know, his attitude around the rink. He's now become a leader of that in that locker room. So I think just the progression of, of Adrian Kempe, the development of Adrian Kempe was, was awesome to see. And you never know when a guy's going to, you know, he's going to figure it out. And, you know, some guys don't, but you know, it's something I've learned too, is to never give up on a player, never give up on a guy. It doesn't matter if, you know, he has to come a long ways. He might do it. And that's what we just talked about. Is he willing to put the work in and realize what he needs to work on, first of all, and and have a purpose in doing it. So it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot to learn for young kids. It's hard. It's hard to play in the NHL. It's hard to make it um, and then be consistent at it. And that's, that's the toughest thing, I think, in anything is to be consistent and keep working at it. You know, nobody's going to have uh, 82 really good games, right? It's just... Uh, what is your off game? You know, how how bad, I guess, is your off game, your B game? Um, can you still contribute to the team when you're having an off night? That's a, that's a pretty good player if you can do that.
you don't have to give any names, but have there been players that for whatever reason left the Kings organization and then you saw them, you know, young players, and then they sort of turned into what you always thought they might be with a different club and you felt good for them, you know, happy that they finally sorted it out, even if it wasn't here. I just said their name five minutes ago, Braden Shen and Mm -hmm. uh, Wayne Simmons. Yeah, great. Simmer scored 30 a couple times with Philadelphia. It was a great power play net front guy. Shanner is just a complete all-around player. You know, physical, fights, scores, you know, produces penalty kills for, for the St. Louis Blues. So does it all. And uh, those were young guys that just came into the organization when I was when I just got here. So, But you never know. You, they, we got good players in return for, for trading those guys. And you just uh, wish – those guys all the best when they when they leave and yeah they've had a great career so this next question has a detail that i want to clarify for the record and then a question that you may not be involved with the answer but i thought it was interesting uh so the person says they read online that entry-level players assigned to the ahl only make seventy-five thousand. that's not very much after taxes agent fees blah 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 in southern california how much is the team whether the Kings or the Reign, able to assist the player in their everyday life outside of hockey, living situations, transportation, and free time. So I want to clarify, I don't know what the minimum salary on an entry-level contract is, but the, every player is different, right? There's signing bonuses. And- yeah. Well, there's there's websites out there where you can you can go right. on and Google and for <laughs> fans. It's just, yeah, you can find out um, pretty easily who, who makes what. Right. And uh, are they on a one-way contract, two-way contract? Do they need waivers? All those things. So, um, and that's another thing you tell, you know, we tell our young guys too, like, okay, money's not everything. You want to make the NHL, but like, do you want to add another couple zeros onto your, <laughs> onto your paycheck or, or not? And, um, you know, it's a great life and um, work for it, put the time in for it. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those things where, you know, how bad do you really want it? But these kids coming in, you know, when I was whatever, 19, I didn't know how dry cleaning worked, right? Yeah. Like I knew that there was a building mm-hmm. where the dry cleaners business yeah. operated, but like if yeah, the kids no, need to buy a car or yeah, yeah. find no, an apartment. Like, I think guys in the locker room help out a lot. Um, there are some people that help, help the players find apartments, find rentals. Um, there are people within the organization that help with that. Um, so guys don't come in here blind and, you know, they're in the hotel all year. They're in the hotel at the start, and then they um, there's people that uh, that help out with that for sure. All right, a couple questions about the current team. Um, this fan would love to hear your thoughts on what Byfield needs to accomplish to con- continue to progress on the roster. Is it as simple as scoring more goals? <laughs> um, that's one of the things. Yeah, no, pr- production, right? Producing and, and making plays and um, – making Kopitar and Kempe better if they can even get better. Um, but no, they, they, he, he did a good job up on that top line, you know, Kempe took off, Kopi kept producing and, um, but yeah, you want him to play 18 to 22 minutes a night. You're on the top line. You, you, you gotta be able to play that. And, uh, I think being a little bit more physical is something we've talked about a lot. Um, there are times when, you know, he had games where he, he was finishing, he got mad, he got, you know, pissed off, so to speak, and um, was finishing checks. He's 6'5", 225. Like, play loud out there. It's something I always say to him, play loud. I want to he- hear their boards. I want to hear the glass. Your first shift, you know, first couple of shifts, you got a guy lined up. He better he better be getting, 
you know, plastered into the boards. Get into the game that way. Let the coach know and, you know, hear the boards down there when uh, Quentin Byfield's on the forecheck. Todd McClellan right away. Oh, he, Q's ready tonight. He's he's going. He's finishing. He's playing physical. So, and then create that just creates creates ice for for Adrian and Andre to 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 do what they do a little bit better too. So um, for Q, yeah, just being involved a little bit more physically and using his body to his advantage. You know, with that puck protecting and and then hopefully produce a little bit more. This one's not a question, but I really liked it because I really like this player. Uh, the fan wants you to just talk about Matt Roy and how underrated he is. Talk about how they're going to maximize his potential this season and set him for success defending the right side. Please and thank you. <laughs> I love Roy I love watching him play. He's as simple as they come. Just make that first pass, the first read that he he has. Just make it. Uh, Rob Scuderi like you know he's uh, Roy had some production last year too. He had, he had nine, nine or ten goals. goals. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so it's good. He's got a really really good shot. Really, really hard shot comes off that stick uh, heavy. So that's uh, a big attribute, a big uh, strength of his game. I don't know if many fans realize how, how good a shot Matty Roy has, but he does. Um, yeah, just a simple player and a guy that's going to play 15 years for sure in the NHL just by the way he plays and um, plays physical, but plays smart. You know, doesn't uh, he protects himself, doesn't take big hits. And uh, yeah, just a, a great player can play. Uh, on any team, really. He's just uh, smart. As a player for the Kings, which jersey did you like the most? It's pretty pretty easy for me to answer. <laughs> the, <laughs> the two that we won sure. in, for sure. Sure. Uh, which current King or player in the NHL reminds you most of yourself? Oh, man. <laughs> we can come back to that one. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, all right, so we talked about Akil Thomas, we talked about Alex Turcotte, but this fan also wants to know your thoughts on Samuel Fagamo and his what he's got to do to make it to the big club because mm-hmm. he's one of those players that's in that unique spot where I believe yeah. he needs uh, to clear waivers to be assigned to Ontario this year, but the spots for him are pretty limited. Yeah, I'm trying to think if he does. I don't think he does. I thought he did. Well, either way, yeah, he's um, like I, you know, there's only one or two spots. It's that an he important could. camp for him, for mm-hmm. sure. It's really important. He's a guy that, you know, he's a he's a goal scorer. He's a guy in the power play that uh, he's got a great shot. Um, but again, is he? Not everybody can play the power play. There's only, you know, first and second unit. That's six spots right there, and you you got to look at the lineup and, and see who's who's not going to come off the power play. So. Um, for Sammy, it's a big training camp for sure. He's another guy that, at a certain point in his shift, how much more does he have in the tank? You know, one of those one of those things. Can he keep up with that pace of the NHL on a game to game basis? So that's that's the biggest thing for me with Sammy. He's fine. He can get around. He can um, make plays. Great shot. Has good hockey sense. But you know, can he can he get past that 35, 40 seconds and and have enough left and um, and be consistent too? There's parts of the season when where his consistency fell a little bit and you know maybe he would have got some games up at the nhl level but it just didn't work out for him but um yeah he's a great kid he wants to learn he 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 works so hard like i said about the reps and certain things and working on his game he he puts in the time so i uh, i hope he has a good camp and puts on that king sweater this year before i let you go i'm going to run through some real quick personal questions that we got some questions (laughs) were all over the place uh what's your least favorite color um probably like purple really yeah all right yeah 
Uh, how are you enjoying fatherhood? It's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite memory from either or both of the cup winning teams. And I'm going to exclude the moment uh, where you actually got to lift the cup. Yeah. I think the, the five said this before, and I think a lot of guys have, but cause we won six to one in that game. So, you know, with five minutes left or seven minutes left, you, you know, you're going to win, you know, you, you hate to think that way or say that, but you know, you're up five, one, six, one. So that was fun on the bench. You know, nobody wanted to go on the ice <laughs> at that point. You know, I, I remember taking like 20 second shifts because I, at that point, I didn't, I'll be honest, I really didn't care about being out there. I wanted to be with the guys on the bench and, and kind of just, it, it was fun. I remember that feeling. And then uh, obviously the next one, when Marty scored, it was the complete opposite because you're so stressed out and you don't want to make that mistake and you you want to score that goal. So you want to be on the ice and there's kind of, both opposites there hmm. i never actually thought about that from that perspective that's no. interesting as a fan in 2012 i was sitting next to my dad and <laughs> just like couldn't believe it yeah. and then watching the clock and wanting it to move faster. but again but as also, a fan it yeah. was the same thing it's oh, two nuts. opposite feelings yeah and, completely yeah uh what was your reaction when you found out you were traded to la um yeah i remember exactly where i was i was in most beach just uh spent the, really? spent the summers here and <laughs> convenient in the exact same uh property where i live now so um it was bittersweet I, I was you know playing in edmonton it was the closest place i could have played you know from home and we had good good couple of years there we just lost in game seven and then uh we had a tough year the next the following year and then that's the summer that greener and i got traded but yeah i i, I loved playing there it was uh it was great good times i just didn't expect it didn't expect to get traded so you're at that point if that happens you're it's bittersweet for sure but um, i knew the kings had some really really good young players i didn't know much about the organization i knew they had some tough seasons and hadn't been in the playoffs in a little while so that was a challenge and uh, i was excited about that challenge though for sure and coming over with greener that was another positive that it was nice to come over with a with a teammate do you have a go-to taco spot um yeah we we like Palmia. We like um, place on Rosecrans. What the heck's it called? Do you have an order that you go to every time? Do you have like I like a favorite fa- time? I like fajitas. Okay. Um, I like beef beef tacos, enchiladas. I like kind of yeah, mix it up. You can opt out of this one if you want. Uh, if you had to emphasis had to fight one teammate from the 2014 Cup team, who would it be? 2014. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. You can pass on that one if you want. Yeah, <laughs> I had to ask. It. I don't know if I need to answer. It. <laughs> All right. Uh, out of quick, Kopitar, Brown, and Dowdy, who is most likely to be a future coach or GM in the NHL? Kopitar, Brown, or Dowdy? And quick. Uh, and quick. Um, GM, I'll go with Kopi. None of those guys would want to be a coach, I don't think. <laughs> Maybe Brownie, maybe, but I don't know. He helps out with his kids right now, but I don't know. It's a little bit less, <laughs> a little bit less stress than being an NHL coach. But second to last one, last real one. Uh, is there a team you despise the most? If there is, would you be willing to tell us which team it is? Uh, as a player, I always I didn't like playing against San Jose um, in Edmonton. I didn't like playing against Calgary, obviously. Um, with LA, Vancouver, Vancouver was always, uh, I think Vancouver and San Jose were probably our two biggest 
rivalries and I, I probably wouldn't be the the only guy to say that we, we didn't like playing against those teams, but you know, that's also a good thing. It's also a compliment, right? Um, yeah. And then this one is, there is no answer to this, but I got to I was too bizarre. <laughs> I have to that's read That's a it. good start. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably think of a real question, but I never do in time for these. So here's what I've got. What does Derek Armstrong smell like? I've actually had thorough discussions about it with my significant other, and we strongly disagree about it. I think he probably smells like carrots and hair gel. She thinks he probably has a spicier, woody scent like coastal cypress. Thank you for your time. Hmm. I've been around Armstrong plenty. He just smells like a normal guy. Yeah, I don't notice anything, so that's a good thing. He smells like makeup when I'm sitting beside him on TV, that's for sure. Do you wear makeup? I don't. I Barbara, uh, set manager, she'll come Mm -hmm. over and uh, try to smack some... Some on me a little bit here and there, but I don't wear a lot. I've never Army does. So. Does he really? And Sorry, I know the Army. glasses don't have uh, <laughs> don't have lenses in them a lot. Uh, yeah, some of them do, some don't. Yeah, no, he's fine. I, I enjoy. I love working with Army. Uh, this one is just for me. Um, I know I've talked to you in the past about how good I think you've gotten on the TV. Are you enjoying it? I mean, do you feel like it assists your work in the development staff and vice versa? Is it? Yeah, I enjoy it a lot. I enjoy talking about the game. Um, talking about our players it just it helps me in development wise for sure it helps both back and forth just you know obviously i'm watching the game so i'm seeing all of our guys play noticing certain things how they're you know fundamentals how their fundamentals are because that's that's development working on simple fundamentals of of their game we're not coaches our title is development coaches but we're not we're not working on systems or four checks or penalty kill power play stuff we're working on simple fundamentals that they need to do to get better and and eventually be consistent at it and then eventually making the team like we talked about so um yeah i know i love watching games even you know in studio when the boys are on the road watching those games and you know writing down you know certain plays at certain times of the game and then clipping those showing those players that play and um you know some negative plays but a lot of positive plays right you got to Positive reinforcement is is the way to go for for developing, I think. So make sure they know they're doing a lot of good things, too. Well, Jared Stoll, thank you for your time. And if it's all right with you, I might start leaning on you uh, more to come join me here in the studio. <laughs> well, we'll try to get up here, yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs>